Thanks for listening to the Campus Collective Podcast. As always, we pray that this resource is a helpful supplement for you as a follower of Jesus and as an active member in your local church. We love God's design for His church, and we believe that this resource could never substitute the incredible things that come from active involvement with a community of believers. Campus Collective is a ministry of Huntington Community Church. To learn more, visit our website at HuntingtonCommunityChurch.com. I actually found in my office today um, my first Bible that right after I started following Jesus, uh, the first one that I actually read. And, and just as a, uh, a little bit of hopefully to humble me and to maybe give you a little taste of just how messy uh, following Jesus can be, um, I actually want to share a few of the notes that I wrote in this Bible, and they are interesting, to say the least. Okay, so... Um, just a few, this is a good reminder for me, actually preparing for this sermon, I went back and listened to a lot of the old songs that I remember worshiping Jesus to right whenever um, I came to love him and know him. And it's just been a really good week of remembering how far grace goes. Uh, the, the first one comes this right at the beginning of the New Testament. Um, I just write, God finally shows up, dot, dot, dot. Enter Jesus. <laughs> now, that... That sounds okay. Unfortunately, God's also in the Old Testament. Um, so there was some biblical theology that wasn't quite right there. Um, I suppose that is when Jesus entered as the God-man. So there's, you know, close enough. Also, I, I really love the sovereignty of God, and you could tell in this. And I had these little things called sovereignty cards. I would be like, oh, God's going to play a sovereignty card on this one, right? And all throughout these, you can just find these little rectangles with a little S in them. Just... You know, I don't even know if there's a point. It's just little sovereignty cards all over. That's interesting. Um, also, in Matthew 20, there's a, uh, a time when Jesus is foretelling his death uh, to the disciples, and I drew a little cup of wrath and just said, <laughs> knew about the cup of wrath the whole time. Insightful. Um, this one's good, too. Oh, man, this is a good way to this really flattens you before you... Okay. First <laughs> uh, Corinthians 15, if you're familiar with that chapter, that's all about the resurrection and Jesus defeating death. Apparently I was very excited about this and wrote, quote, death equals doorway to my faithful lover. Um, <laughs> turns out that's a hip hop lyric. We actually Googled it today. God, God can bring you really, really far um, and walk with him. So as we, as we think about tonight and we look at Ephesians 2, I really do want you to slow down and realize this. This is not some like nostalgia thought project that I'm wanting you guys to do to leave here just thinking about what God's done. This is actually a really biblical thing. God often reminds his people in the Old Covenant to remember the Exodus, remember what God rescued you from. And then when you get to the New Testament, God is constantly reminding people to remember the true and better Exodus when Jesus rescued us from our sin and death. And it's in this light that Paul actually picks up on the idea of reminding, remember, and wants to remind the church in Ephesus and us just how far we've come if you are in Christ. So tonight, as we slow down to look at this text, I want you to think on your own story. What was it like before Christ? Some of you grew up in church. 
Some of you got baptized this year. Where's Jesse at? A couple weeks ago, right? Jesse just new to the faith, and some of you um, grew up always around the faith. But whatever your story is tonight, God has brought you so far. Thinking on your life as a theater of God's saving work can be so freeing because it reminds you that you are not the main actor in the story of your life. This passage tonight, it's been very helpful for me. It's actually going to give you some theological framework around your story before Christ. For the most rebellious in here, to the ones who left the womb and landed in Sunday school, I want you to notice how far you've come. But I want you to see something else too. It's very important. If you miss this, we're going to miss a huge part of what this passage is doing tonight. Notice that title here is never forget how far we've come. It's not just about you. We are made one in Christ. That is the second. So we're going to dig really deep on remembering how far we've come and what Jesus has done. And then we're going to stop and look at the unity that we have in Christ and how that should change us forever. So I'd, I'd be remiss to not at least mention this too. For those of you in a room this size, I've got, I'm just probably sure as I can be, but I know there's some of you that have not given your life to Christ. And I want you to see, as we examine how far some of us have come before Jesus, I want you to see how far away from God you are in your sin, but I also want you to see how far God has gone to rescue you from that. So with that in mind, let's look at the first two verses tonight. We'll be in Ephesians 2. If you don't have a Bible, it should be on the screen there. And we're going to see six things that God wants us to remember, okay? Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So before we get into the things we're supposed to remember, we got to let verse 11 ground us in the context of Ephesians. Because remember, right there in the beginning, what's it say? Therefore. So we got to ask, what's it there for? It's because of what we've already gone over that God wants us to remember these six things. So because of what we've already seen in Ephesians, which is, we were dead in our sins, Ephesians 2. We were made alive in Christ. That being made alive in Christ was all by His grace, not by our works. And we are His handiwork. He has prepared for us works to walk into. So remembering those gospel truths, He says, because of that, here's what I want you to remember. Six things. Taking notes. This will be a good time to write this down. Six things He wants you to remember. That we were Gentiles in the flesh, number one. Number two, that we were separated from Christ. Number three, we were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Number four, we were strangers to the covenants of the promise. Number five, we had no hope. Number six, that we were dead. We were without God in the world. So, and we're going to go through these again. If you missed some, we're going to go through them slowly. But all of these terrifying things are true because we were separated from God himself because of our sin. 
and to truly remember these things and to truly have them change you, we have got to slow down and see their significance, see why we even need to remember them, and also examine our own lives to see if we still live like these things are true. So let's look at the first one, right in the beginning of verse 11. Remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. So at one time, you see that as he is painting a picture of what these people were like before Jesus stepped in and saved them. Now, if the idea of circumcision and uncircumcision, especially in the Bible, is unfamiliar to you, I want to give you a little history so you can understand what is going on. Um, in the Old Covenant, this is before God came in the flesh, God saved people by faith alone. But the obedience of that faith looked differently because of the cultural distinctions that God wanted to make in his people so they would look different from the nations that worshipped other gods. Okay? The main sign of this Old Covenant was for the men to be circumcised. This was an outward showing of an inward change that they believed in God. Now, some scholars believe this was a way to show that God wanted all of us, even parts that we would normally cover up. It was a very obviously intimate and kind of invasive thing to mark a person, showing that if you're going to believe in this God, he wants all of you. So, people who would not come to God in faith would worship other gods, and God wanted his people to be separate or cut off from them. That's what's going on there. And Paul also mentions that this circumcision was made in the flesh by hands. Here's what he's showing, is that the circumcision isn't what saved anyone. It was a sign of obedience and the faith that they had. So, just so you know, there were some Jews who simply got circumcised and did not have faith, and they were not a part of the people of God. You don't get saved by circumcision. It's an outward sign. The point here, though, is that you need to see this, all the history aside. You need to understand that before you were saved, you were uncircumcised in your heart. You did not belong to God. You were outside of his people. And to be outside of his people was to be an enemy of him. That's the first thing. You were outside of the people of God. Secondly, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. So, Jesus Christ was the true embodiment of Israel and what God's people were supposed to be, and only people united to him by faith can be in the people of God. So before God gave you the faith to believe, you were separated from him, enemy of God. You need to know that apart from Christ, you can do nothing. All of your good works were filthy rags. All you could do was follow the devil's path in this world. And if this seems too harsh, it's because you have a very high view of yourself and a very low view of the power of sin. Keeps going. The third thing, you're also alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Commonwealth of Israel, apart from Christ, we are not in with the God of Israel, Jesus. We are not just separated. We are alienated. We do not belong. Why? It's not because he's unloving. It's not because he's mean or bigoted. It's because we don't belong because of our sin. And if this seems too harsh, it's because you have a high view of yourself and a low view of the power of sin in your life. It keeps going. The next thing. 
strangers to the covenants of promise. So the covenants of promise would have been in your Old Testament when God makes a covenant with Abraham and he says, I'm going to make you a people and you're going to inherit the land with all of the blessings that come with following me. And the next covenant here would be the unconditional covenant with David where God's people would get a kingdom that would never end. And we had no business knowing these things because we were strangers to them. Because we were alienated all because of our sin. The next thing, this is where it really starts to get to the crux of the problem that we have or we had apart from Christ. Fifth thing, we had no hope. Here we start to get the real problem of what life is like apart from Christ. Before and without Christ, we have no hope. Proverbs 13, 12 illustrates this well. It says that hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Your heart will be sick if you don't have hope. And I know some of you have walked through maybe seasons of depression or anxiety where it felt like there is no way this turns around. There's no way God is still working. There's no way this turns positive. You know what that heart sickness feels like. For those of you that aren't in Christ, I want you to see something, a harsh reality for you tonight. That if you don't have Christ right now, you haven't surrendered to him, and your heart is sick and you feel hopeless, that is the mercy of the Lord letting you see that you need him. God created us to have hope in him, and if your heart is sick apart from Christ, that is God letting you in to something that should draw you to him. Without Christ, you are without hope. And God is wanting us to remember how far we've come. We used to have no hope for good reason, right? Like, people who are enemies of God should not have a ton of hope. He's never lost. Doesn't lose to his enemies. And it's against this dark background that makes Jesus look so beautiful. You realize this. No hope. But because of Christ, only hope. And the sixth thing here that kind of really just gives the entire point. Having no hope and without God in the world. Here's the final nail in the coffin of our dead souls apart from Christ. We were without God and we were still in the world. This is scary because the world is brutal. There's a war for our souls and without God, we are done. We didn't have God. One thing that we actually needed, we did not have. And it was our fault. God has always been available to us by faith. It was our fault. It's our sin that separated us. And there's something that scares me a little bit, I'll be honest. It scares me in my own life. It scares me in some of the ministry culture that we are creating. Sometimes we like to dress sins up with different words. Maybe you've heard things like this. That we're just struggling with brokenness or we've made mistakes or we've, we're struggling or I'm just overwhelmed, etc., etc. And sometimes those things do describe your experience. But if we are using those words to just soften the blow of what sin actually is, we are doing ourselves a disservice. Please understand that your biggest, your biggest problem isn't a character flaw. 
It's that you actively, happily rebel against God. They're not easy things to say, okay? Like, when you say this kind of stuff, people don't usually come up and tell you good speech afterwards, okay? But if I hated you, we would avoid this. We'd go straight to Ephesians 3, talk about whatever's in Ephesians 3. We've got to get there. But whenever we consider how far we've come, listen, we have to see that we did not deserve God. And until we don't see the bleak reality apart from him, his grace is never going to be as beautiful as it actually is. It's just not. Saving grace isn't that great if you don't think you really need saved from anything. Jesus didn't come in and give us a pat on the back and say, keep doing exactly what you're doing and now just say it's for me. It's not grace. We didn't deserve him. Verse 13 is unbelievable. God did not leave us there. We do not quit the sermon here. Look at this. Remember last year or last week it was Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, and then there was that incredible but right in the middle of it. You know what I'm talking about? You're dead in your sins, following the path of this world. It was but God. Here's another one. All these things are true about us, alienated, no hope, without God. But now in Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. These things were true about you, but if in Christ, no longer true. You are joined to Christ now. You are no longer alienated from him. You have the promises of God. You have hope in Christ and you have God. We were once far off, and we have been brought near by the blood of Christ. It's a travesty that that bores us. We woke up every day like that was true. We woke up and thought, I'm near to God because of someone else's doing. We'd sing a lot louder. We'd tell a lot more people. Sin would be nowhere near as sweet. I want you to stop for a moment and consider the phrase, blood of Christ. When we approach the Bible, we are savoring every phrase. And even if you think you've thought about the blood of Christ before, I want you to understand this. Our nearness to God now is because of Christ's blood. His death, his resurrection, this is why we can be near to God. It's the reason. This means that he took our wrath, he took our guilt. He died for us, not just for us, Instead of us, it's by his blood. It also means that you can't just obey your way to God. It's always by faith. Your moral acts, your accomplishments, your social circle that you belong to do not do this for you. It is only by his blood. Now, I want to take a moment here before we go to 14. And I want you to have this as a weapon in your fight against sin. These verses really can help you. If you will learn to use these to preach the gospel to yourself, listen, it is good to realize the reality of where you once were. Without hope, without God, without promises to comfort you. But here's what I'm afraid of. And I've walked with some of you now for two or three years, had random counseling sessions, conversations, phone calls, etc. And one of the things that scares me so much in our fight is that we fight our sin and suffering like Jesus is still in the grave. When you preach the gospel to yourself, acknowledge your broken state, 11 through 12. 
but remember that you are brought near. It's not the end of the story. You're near Christ now. You don't have to stay in the dark shadows of that sin or that shame or that hidden thing. Because of him, you are set free. Those shadows were obliterated by the blood of Jesus. You don't have to fight wondering how God feels about you. So many of us in our fight with depression is because we feel sad. We think that's because God feels that way against us. You have to look at the cross if you're ever wondering how God feels about you. At the cross. His blood brought you near. You are fighting your sin. You are fighting your despair, your depression, your anxiety, your hopelessness, whatever it may be. You are fighting those things as someone who is wrapped up in the arms of Christ. 14. For he himself is our peace. Who made us both, that is Jew and Gentile, made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So right in the beginning, I want you to see something. that Jesus is not a concept. Following Jesus is not just liking the idea of peace on your own terms. Jesus himself is our peace. So here is what peace on Jesus' terms looks like. He has made us one. Make no mistake though. Jesus' peace makes people who believe in him one. It is not Jesus-like to act like we are all one with people who reject him as their Lord and Savior. It's a dangerous thing. But Paul is making the point here that these people, you see, then when Jesus is abolishing of the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, when he's tearing down this dividing wall of hostility, he's making the point that people in that day were using their religion to keep people away from Jesus. And Jesus says, that is not the peace that I brought. We are one. So if you're in Christ, you are one with other people who claim him as Lord and Savior. Jew and Gentile are in Christ together as one new man. Now, outside of Christ, we were hostile toward God and hostile toward each other. But because of the reality of Jesus' death and resurrection, our hostility with God has been taken away and our hostility with each other should be too. So I want to talk for a second about this idea of hostility with God. Some of you don't really like to think about this at all, or maybe you just have never noticed it in the scriptures. But if you've thought about it and see it and decide that this doesn't sound like it describes you, it could come from a conviction that you're thinking that you're not really that bad. We aren't that sinful. If you think you're not that sinful, you don't really need a savior. And if you come into this following Jesus thing, and you only can think about the immoral immorality of other people, then Jesus is not for you. It's for people who see their own sin. It seems morbid and harsh to think about ourselves in these terms, but if it's true, then we need to hear this. So I'm going to show you a passage in the Old Testament that, I'll be honest, I'm sort of hoping it offends you a little. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 5. You don't have to turn there. It'll be up here. Interesting story. See what you think. And David and all the house of Israel were making merry before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. 
And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it for the oxen stumble. Now, real quick, ark of God, this was God's special presence in the old covenant. This was the, just the epitome of, of their worship of God. It was if they had the ark of God, this was how they were confirmed and knew his presence was with them, okay? So the ark of God had fallen because an oxen stumbled, okay? Verse 7. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah. And God struck him down there because of his error. And he died there beside the ark of God. Verse 8. And David was angry. Fair, maybe. Because the Lord had burst forth against Uzzah. And that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. Now, that's interesting, right? Like, you put yourself in this story. You all are carrying this, the holiest object in the Old Covenant. This is the, this is the Ark of God. They're taking it to its new place, and an oxen trips. And Uzzah's thinking, oh no, the Ark of, <laughs> the Ark of God, I'm going to catch it. And he holds it up, and because of that, God strikes him dead, and he dies. Now, David was angry. Maybe that makes you feel uncomfortable as well. And as I was researching this, I found a really interesting quote that helped me understand this story. It's from a guy named R.C. Sproul. He says this, Uzzah's motivations were likely good. He probably did not want the ark to get dirty. It's fair, right? But he foolishly presumed that his sinful hands were cleaner than the ground. The point I want you to see is that you probably would be angry about this like David. But God's holiness is real. It makes his wrath terrifying. And it's this big of deal about this wrath and holiness and these harder parts of God that makes hostility with that God being completely gone in Christ that big of deal. That holy God welcomes you near. Now, let's talk about our hostility with each other. So this is basically our sin on display. Christ's death is the answer to the biggest questions that divide us in our culture. The peace of Christians should be astounding to the world that is watching. As Christians, we are the peacemakers because our hostility has been removed. There is no room for racism in the people of God. There's no room for discrimination of any kind. This was the mistake that religious Jewish people were making, and Jesus completely upended that way of thinking. Please understand this, especially for a ministry like this. There is no excuse for you to have hostility with your brothers and sisters. The Lord does not want his church or our ministry to be a safe place for our grudges, our cliques, and our gossip. Jesus took those things to the cross and left it a bloody mess. That's how serious he is about hostility with each other. We are one. Verse 17 gives us our big gospel point for tonight. And he came, and Jesus, and he came and preached peace to you who were far, far off, and peace to those who were near. So understand, there's two types of people in this verse, and they're both getting preached peace to, to the ones who are far and the ones who were near. But I want to stop and turn this application into our day. We know from the context that the main interpretation of this would be the people who were near would be ethnic Jews, the ones with the covenants, the ones with the commonwealth of Israel. 
because they had the Old Testament scriptures. And those who were far off would be the Gentiles, the non-ethnic Jews who had to rely on people deciding it was worth it to cross oceans and countries to go give them the gospel. Praise God for faithful Jews who followed Jesus and took his mission seriously. But I want you to understand something really clearly for us. I'm making a huge assumption here, but I don't think there are any ethnic Jews here. I could be wrong, I don't know everybody here, but probably not. But this doesn't mean there's not application for us in this. Especially if you're from Appalachia, or maybe, maybe where you're from too. A lot of us grew up around God. If you're in this room, there's a chance, or maybe a good chance, that you've heard of a Bible before, or of a church building before. Maybe you even went to VBS, or Sunday school, or you had a grandma who prayed for you, or parents who told you to find a church when you got to college. At the very least, you've been to a campus ministry at least once, right? Because you're here. That counts as one time. So in this, we're thinking, those are people that would be near Christ. They were around him. And here's what you need to see to be overwhelmed by his grace. You're one of those people who grew up moral, grew up okay, grew up around church. That Jesus came preaching peace to those of us who grew up near him, and he came preaching peace to those of us who were far away. Why peace? Because there was hostility between us and God. You see what's happening here? That if people who were kind of around God and had their act cleaned up needed peace with God, and also the people who was really obvious that they needed Jesus also had hostility with God, that means that we have to repent of our rebellion and our religion. You need to see this. That you could have grown up in church, parents, Christian, deacon board, come to Campus Collective this whole year. You can be near and still be hostile to God and your sin. The Bible leaves no room for the kind of thinking that just because you're morally okay, that means God is a little bit happier with you. So if you're in here and you feel like you have a life that is screwed up, you're in here and you've thought, there's no way I can keep my life together like these Christians can. I'm here to tell you that God says that is a lie. The gospel is only for those people who realize they do not have it together no matter what church they grew up in. So even if you grew up and got baptized right after you were born and never drank, had sex, cussed, or hung out with anybody who thought about that stuff, you were hopelessly dead in your sins apart from Christ. Those things did not make you more savable. There is peace with God available by grace through faith. But here's the scary part. This also means that simply knowing about God and believing that he is real or coming to Campus Collective and doing all the things that make you feel like you're near, this also means that these things will not save you. Being near Jesus is a horrible hobby. You're hostile to God. I think the reason why this bothers me so much, this was me. (laughs) Um, At the time, whenever the friends were praying for me and Evan wouldn't leave me alone, 
had an outward appearance of like, he's probably okay. Good grades, relatively nice, I guess. I mean, I haven't, I was a nice guy, never got in a fight. Had parents who were Christians. If you would ask me on a survey what religion I was, I would say Christian. But when it all made sense to me, it realized that none of that mattered when I stood before a holy God. And maybe that's some of you tonight. Those of you that have screwed everything up, and you're just like, I don't even know why I'm here. (laughs) You need to know there is peace available through Christ with God. He came to rescue you. But for those of you that have done a really good job showing up every week and convincing everybody else around you that you and God are okay, Tonight, baby, and night, you have to admit there's hostility because of sin with him. This is what you need. So at this point, the passage takes an interesting turn. It leaves us there and then goes into a verse on prayer and then a verse on the church. So we're going to land there. But I don't want to go too quickly. I want you to come to terms with this, that You could be near and you can be far, but the main problem is your sin, and that's the problem that Jesus came to rescue you from. It's not a performance up here, guys. The point's not to just come and get a bunch of people and do a Tuesday show. The point is that these realities are real. You can be close to God, but far away from Him in your sin. Verse 18. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So, this is hard because we could spend like 30 weeks on this verse. But just say this. I would just challenge you. Christians in the room, let's decide today to stop reading verses like this and letting it have no effect on our life. I'm so tired of this in my own life. They get so excited about prayer. And I read a verse or an article or something. I'm like, oh, I'm going to pray. I get a new prayer journal, a new prayer list, new prayer cards, any other prayer thing you can think of. And then I just don't even celebrate or live like I have access with God. We really would live differently if we just thought verse 18 was true and every day we woke up and decided to live it out. But I want us to land on 19 through 22. Look at this. This is incredible. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So he says, remember, you were this. Now you are saint. You are members of the household of God. But I want to spend our time at the end focusing mostly on verse 21. It says, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So, please understand a crucial point that God is making here for us. As he saves more and more people, he is building a temple of people of his own. We are the temple now. God literally dwelling in us individually, and he is continually building us together as he draws people closer to him, makes us more like Jesus, and draws us together. There's an incredible ministry application for us here. Because of the metaphors that God uses to describe his church, this means that all of us are needed. 
Anybody can get in on this. Don't believe the lie that only extroverted, social, all-star people are good at ministry. Forget it. It's not true. They are fine at it, but they're not the only ones. If God saved you, he intends to use you in the exact way that he made you. Yes, he's going to shape away your sin and fix your thoughts, but the personality and gifts that he gave you, that is what he wants to use. Your personality, your gifts, your likes, your dislikes, none of those were an accident. Let's refuse to make our ministry lopsided. God calls us his temple. He calls us his body. And a body would be horrible if it was full of ears and left thumbs. Right? Think about that. All it could do is hear and hitchhike. I don't know. <laughs> we need everybody as we continue to be built up into something that will proclaim the gospel on our campus and in our city and in the nations. So as the band comes back up to finish out our night, I want to leave you with this. Do not leave tonight without directly considering just how far you've come. All those things are true about us. In our, in our sin, there's no hope. There's no God. We're alienated. We're strangers. None of these things are ours. And he frees us up by his grace to just come in faith, trusting that his blood covers us. You were far from God, no matter how close you convinced people you were. But you are now in him, being built up and used. And it's that peace that we get to preach to everyone. No matter what they look like, what they've done, how religious or how rebellious, this is the mission that we have. Let's pray. Um, God, I thank you for faithful friends that took Ephesians 2.18 seriously, knowing they had access to you and they begged you to save me. Lord, I thank you that the way you've designed ministry to go, we don't have the pressure of putting on a show in our own lives, that, Lord, we come to you in our brokenness, in our sin, in our suffering, knowing that because of the blood of Christ, we have been brought near. And, Lord, somehow, miraculously, this is your temple. As we sing and praise you, you're about to be present with us, already here, but present in a way as we praise you. God, I pray we don't leave here remembering how far you've brought us to leave here completely unchanged. This should change the way we look at every single person we have class with. Lord, I pray you would convict us that we would see that all people have hostility with you, but that you've provided peace. You've made a way. So God, as we sing tonight, let us sing like people who are close because of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.